I'm a big believer that if you create the right physical environment, the right community, that the economic returns will come out of that. And we are long-term holders. We and the Giants want to be involved in Mission Rock through the development, and we see that as a long-term asset for us and for our investors. So yes, we're economically motivated, but the driving force is to create the right environment. Because if you create the right environment that people like and enjoy and want to be in, the economic success will come out of that. Hi, this is Matt Sleppin. Welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. Today's episode is a conversation with Larry Baer, the CEO of the San Francisco Giants, and Carl Shannon, the Northern California and Pacific Northwest Senior Managing Director of Tishman Spire. We recorded on September 28th and are releasing this episode on October 17th, right in the midst of mid-October baseball season. Together, the Giants and Tishman Spire are building the Mission Rock Mixed Use Project, a new neighborhood adjacent to the Giants' Oracle Park, a 28-acre development with 1.6 million square feet of office and retail, 1,100 residential units, and eight acres of public open space all on the waterfront in San Francisco. I've long been planning this conversation, and of course we had to have it in October when baseball is on our minds, although unfortunately a year in which the Giants are not in the playoffs. It's interesting though, since not having the excitement of the playoffs actually better allowed us to focus the conversation around the business and magic of baseball, which transcends winning and losing seasons. So we got to focus on the business, the brand and reputation, fan loyalty and the customer experience, civic leadership, the stadium experience, technology innovations, and then of course our topic, the opportunities in the land surrounding the stadium. The conversation both from Larry and Carl interestingly echoed recent resonance themes on leading voices around opportunities, if I can use these words, for corporate leadership as responsible long-term owners and developers. Mark Preston talked about the meaning of reputation with a long-term perspective, in his case, 340-year-old Grosvenor, but it echoes Larry's comments about the Giants' goals and reputation as a business actually founded 139 years ago in 1883, and Tishman Spire, the youngest of the group, founded in 1978, 44 years ago, but one of the world's leading established real estate developers. These companies are going nowhere, so long-term thinking, reputation, and doing the right thing in development, balancing economic goals and necessity with do the right thing in the community is the of course approach. Remember Mark Preston's comments on the last show about their recent investments in Grosvenor Square, and then this week, the Giants and Tishman takes a lead on both sustainability and a 40% commitment to affordability at Mission Rock. I look back myself over the work I've done through my own 44-year career. Yes, I wince at 44 years as the number, but the hallmarks, which were unconscious guiding principles at the beginning, but have been conscious for many years now, is again thinking long-term versus transactionally about relationships, reputation, and another driver for me, which is learning and curiosity. Those hallmarks are important for our clients and certainly important for us at ZRG as search professionals. You can get by by being purely transactional, but you get no mastery, reputation, or soul from that approach. That's similar in the business we discuss on the show, right? 
How do you get to be an awesome and beloved baseball team continually creating the magic defined by people coming to the ballpark smiling, excited, and happy and wearing the colors of the team year in and year out? And we're sticking with that transaction theme. The wins and losses are still the headline, but only half of the story. I say it every time, but this is an episode to share with your friends, whether or not they're in real estate, especially this episode. And if they're in the business, share a few of your other favorite episodes. Please, if you have not subscribed or follow us on your podcast app, too many people tell me they don't listen to the show if they don't see it on our e-blast. So subscribe. Feel free to send me a note about the show, guest suggestions, or if you need help on your company's talent management needs to my email, which is mslepin at zrgpartners.com. I hope that you enjoy the conversation with Larry and Carl. This was definitely one of my favorites. So Carl and Larry, welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. The three of us are speaking live together today at the Giants Home Office at Oracle Park at 24 Willie Mays Plaza. I just love the name. It's September 28th. This podcast will be released during the baseball playoffs. Larry, I am sorry. You're kind of putting your lip out there that you won't be in the playoffs this year, but there's a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about Mission Rock. We're going to talk about the city, real estate market of San Francisco, still in these times of COVID or post-COVID, and then the link between baseball, real estate, and community. So lots to talk about today. And let me have each of you introduce yourselves briefly, and then we'll get into it so that our listeners know your voices, because there's three of us here. Larry, you go first. Okay, thank you, Matt. And it's great being with you and Carl uh, on this podcast. So I am uh, a native San Franciscan and uh, grew up here. I went to public schools here and then went to Berkeley, uh, undergraduate, and grew up as a Giants fan. I'll get that out of the way. (laughs) And I actually took the Muni Railway with my dad out to watch games, to watch Willie Mays patrol center field and Willie McCovey first base, et cetera. Then it's a pursuit, actually. I I realized I wasn't going to be a great baseball player, but uh, maybe I could do something uh, behind the scenes. So uh, I got involved in some broadcasting and then at uh, Berkeley and then got involved in the TV business in San Francisco and then New York and then was involved in 1993 with the group that um, acquired the team and kept them in San Francisco. Uh, so that was 30 years ago. And um, we are very proud to be partners with Tishman Spire in you know, having built the ballpark here at uh, 24 Willie Mays Plaza. We're very proud to have um, taking sort of you know our, our uh, development 2.0 from the giant with a lot of expertise from Tishman Spire because we could this one we couldn't do ourselves is yep. building out the Mission Rock neighborhood which is uh, was formerly our our parking lot so uh, we're doing that as well as uh, running the baseball team you're right we're not going to be in the playoffs but uh, as CEO of the of the team I've uh, you know sending actually a letter to our fans that will will uh, probably already be out by the time this podcast airs uh, talking about uh, hope and belief that we can get back to the playoffs uh, in 2023. Wonderful. And a couple of other quick questions before we go to Carl. First of all, you're living the dream. So you were a Giants fan as a kid. You did broadcasting in college. So this was what you wanted to do. And now you're doing it. It was. I didn't know if it would be necessarily a business-oriented job, but I did go get an MBA, and I did sort of take to business. I was in the uh, TV, radio. I I realized at a very early age that my probably my play-by-play broadcasting career peaked in in my early twenties, uh-huh. and I realized that. Uh, but I did have a a um, 
a passion for the business end of sports. And what I really like about it is, I mean, you know, you want to win the World Series every year. That may not happen, but what you can control in the in the sports world, or you can attempt to control, is the environment around the park and the yeah. entertainment value you provide fans and the experience, everything from cleanliness to food and concessions to the spirit in the in the community, the community service you do with the players and with the organization. And I really enjoy that. And we've mm-hmm. been doing that here for uh, for a while. And and um, also, I think that's set us up pretty well to work with Tishman Spire and Carl to uh, to develop our, our project uh, right. right across McCovey Cove. And, and you mentioned Giants 2.0 development because Giants 1.0 development, shortly after you acquired the team, you built this stadium, which was one of the first downtown stadiums. Just talk about that briefly. Right. That was, and that was really the whole genesis of our group coming together because I don't know if you recall, not, I'm sure some of the listeners uh, may not recall, but in the previous ownership and in the previous incarnation of the Giants before our group, uh, there were four measures to build a ballpark with public money. Um, one was 1987 here in San Francisco. <laughs> Diane Feinstein was mayor. It was Proposition W. Wow. And it was to build a ballpark at 7th and Townsend. That was uh, defeated. Then in 1989, a measure to build the ballpark where we actually have it. It was a different design, but here at 3rd and King Street. Uh And that was narrowly defeated, narrowly defeated, uh, right in the wake of the the aftermath of the earthquake in 1989. Right. Then uh, two measures in the South Bay. So the previous owner, as you might might you know, uh, be understandable to, to everyone. He had, there would be four attempts to build a park all with public subsidy. So when our group came together, we didn't have a playbook on how to do it, but we knew we had to try to do it differently. Right. So our approach was to do it privately and take out the public subsidy piece that was just not, not going to work in California or in San Francisco, but yet we did put it on the ballot because we didn't want to, we wanted to be very open about this is what we're doing. There were some height limits, some variances we needed to get mm-hmm. on height and bulk. And uh, and we were able to get a, you know, we need 50%. We got about 67% of the vote. So that was a good outcome. That was, that was uh, for, we bought the team in 93. And that was, that election was in uh, early 96. So we did some homework for a while. And then about three, three, four years later, came on the ballot. And then the ballpark opened in year 2000. So we're at our 23rd year of uh, the new ballpark. We like to think of it still as the new ballpark, even though it's Feels new. Yeah. more than two decades old. And it's interesting. Well, Janet Marie Smith, who built the first new ballpark at Camden Yards in Baltimore, which I watched go up. Oh, I was back yes. in D.C. back then. And and I was at one of the last games at Memorial Stadium. But um, this is just amazing. So, Carl, let's turn to you. And so you lead Tishman Spire here in the Bay Area Talk a bit about Tishman Spire generally, yourself generally here, and then we're going to talk about Mission Rock. Sure. It's a great pleasure to be with you, Matt and Larry. I'm Carl Shannon. I run the Bay Area and the Pacific Northwest for Tishman Spire. Tishman Spire is a privately held real estate company founded by Bob Tishman and Jerry Spire and run day-to-day by Rob Spire. It's really, I think, a fantastic combination of a entrepreneurial spirit and a quick moving company, but with worldwide resources and a deep track record in development. 
I came to California in 1993. Must have been inspired by what Larry uh-huh. and the team were doing. I grew up on the East Coast, spent time in Boston, New York, Washington, uh, and London before coming to California. We've been here 30 years. My wife says I'm almost a Californian. <laughs> and I've spent 25 of those years with Tishman Spire. And we have really built a reputation for being part of the community here, for doing what we say we will do, for partnering with nonprofits and other community members, and have built several major office buildings and several major residential buildings before coming to be the Giants partner four years ago. It's an incredible partnership between us and the Giants. They are really a world-class organization. And we have, I think, both really strong but somewhat complementary skill sets, and it's worked incredibly well. And we're really focused on trying to create a new neighborhood at Mission Rock and something that is really genuinely San Francisco and an amazing commitment to making sure that this new community is inclusive to all in terms of the people who work on building the project, the people who work on designing the project, the people who will live in the project, the people who will operate retail spaces in the project. An incredible commitment to being at the forefront of sustainability from a Blackwater treatment plant, really the first of its kind for a project of this scale in California, mm-hmm. private project, a district energy plant that provides the heating and cooling for the entire complex, raising the site five feet for sea level rise, really trying to push the boundaries that to make sure on each element of ESG that we are pushing this project to the forefront. And even though, you know, it's a challenging time today in real estate, you know, we are essentially finishing as we speak the Visa building where Visa's new world headquarters will be. They're tremendously excited to come to this project. Uh We will open our first residential building, the Canyon, in the second quarter next year. And I think we're incredibly pumped about how many people are now moving back to San Francisco and how that project will be received. And we're working hard to get all of the retail tenants in place for when those buildings open. And surprisingly, in a post-pandemic world, we're having really good success in that regard. Cool. Hey, I want to go back up a couple thousand feet. Larry, start with you and talk about, go back to the ballpark that you built here, the vision that you had for the ballpark and the surrounding neighborhood but also take it even higher than that, thinking about ballparks and ownership groups in baseball around the country, because you're not alone in doing this kind of thing, which seems like it's not your business. So tell me why it is your business, how it's your business, and what, what perspective you come to it with. No, it, it, it's a good question, Matt. And, and it really goes back to kind of your roots. You talk about Baltimore. When we came in, and it was Peter McGowan, so there's a group of 18, I think it starts with the fact that we're we're a group of 18 civic-minded individuals, right? Mm -hmm. And the 18 were, we came together at the very last minute to avert the move of the Giants, to thwart the move to Florida. There was a purchase agreement signed, moving the Giants to Tampa. The Uh Tampa team didn't exist at the time. So we had to come in. And the obvious question that was clear to to all concerned was, it wasn't going to work if you didn't get a ballpark built. 
So we went to school, essentially, and when we were able to get a vote, a no vote from baseball owners, the deal was signed to move to Florida. We came in and they and we pledged to get a ballpark built with all deliberate speed. We did not know how. And so that was 1993. So what we did was we and I, I myself, Peter McGowan, whose mm-hmm. partner was the managing partner at the time, and I was the number two person. Right. And with this group of wonderful owners, you know, kind of a who's who of business, very civic minded. It was you know, names that will be familiar to people in, in the, listening in. Uh, Charles Schwab, Don Fisher from Gap, Walter Shorenstein, the Shorenstein Company. Right. Uh, Richard Goldman, the, the Levi Strauss Company. It was a wonderful group. Nobody professed to know how to do a ballpark. But we went, and I say why this connects to you, is we went to sort of state of the art at the time, which was Camden Yards in Baltimore, which actually opened in 1993, Mm -hmm. right? Same time. Jacobs Field, what was Jacobs Field in Cleveland, and Coors Field in Denver. Those three were inner city ballparks that were built with a a retro feel, Mm -hmm. right? And married some of the the old fashioned what we felt the old fashioned charm of of baseball with modern technology, right? Club levels and premium uh, areas, etc. So our our kind of elevator line was Camden Yards meets Wrigley Field is what the kind of ballpark we were going to uh-huh. uh, create. And it's interesting as you say that, and this probably happens in other cities. And then we're going to get yeah. to Mission yeah, Rock. Yeah. But I'm just curious a perspective on it because you said the word civic minded. And I think it's true that San Francisco needed the the ball team here. Couldn't lose the ball team, even though there's one across the, the, the bay. You still need it. So Civic fits this and continues to fit your perspective on this as much as money, dollars. That, it's a business. That's really sort of how we, we try to approach it. And I can't say enough about Peter McGowan and you know, Walter Shorenstein and yeah, yeah. Chuck Schwab and, and, and that group because – uh, they led with their hearts. I mean, that's really what it what it came down to. And, you know, I think sometimes in, we all see it in the business world. I know Rob Spire and Carl charting the navigating Tishman do this all the time is that sometimes you don't know the end point of you know financial outcome. Right. But if you do things the right way and you connect with the community and connect with your consumer and that ultimately you'll be okay. We didn't have a playbook. And we knew building it privately was going to be challenging from a debt perspective, mm-hmm. but we challenged the the group inside. The Giants was amazing. Many of these people that Carl know that we were able to forge relationships in the community with sponsors and with our fans and get to the point where it was, we were able to out revenue the debt, if you will, yep. to get, to get the ballpark up and running. But you know, it was no sure thing. There were a lot of people that thought that we, we'd end up selling the team and, and the team would be relocated. But there, there was a lot of inspiration that went into this from these other ballparks that were opening in the early 90s, the right. it, urban ballparks. Okay. And then take that to the area surrounding the ballpark. Why get into housing? Why get into <laughs> office buildings? What, do you, what What's that mean to you? Well, I think there were a couple of motivations. And again, I think it came from a a really good place. And again, the DNA of our group, we're now at about 30 investors, but they're all really the same of the same DNA, which is civic minded, is a couple things. One is we, uh, we're we not going anywhere. We're the San Francisco Giants. We're in a 66-year lease with a 23-year extension term. So uh, we're going to be around for generations. And we wanted to make sure that the front door, back door of our ballpark is great. Right. Great for our fans. Great for the environment. 
and great for the operation of this franchise in the community. So to have a hand in that was important. The other thing is that we were sort of blessed in the first, you know, decade or so, or you know, five to 10 years of the ballpark, we saw a growing community around us, right? Mm-hmm. So we had UCSF already there and the Mission Bay campus was built out. And then we saw, you know, technology really where we, where the ballpark was, we became a technology hub where all sorts of companies are moving the, the, the national economy, international economy we're locating. And is there a way to, you know, create a higher, better use for a 30 acre parking lot surface parking lot, you know, where we can do things that are of need for the community, such as housing, affordable Mm -hmm. housing, such as open space with parks, Uh, do it the right way, like Carl talked about with all the sustainable elements and create, as Carl said, create a neighborhood by the park that can be San Francisco's newest and newest neighborhood and something we could be proud of and could be a great compliment to the park. So that was something we five to 10 years in to the operation of this park. So Mm -hmm. in the 2005 to 2010 period, we started thinking about and approaching, started a civic discussion about with the the leaders, uh, the the political leaders here. Cool. And Carl, talk about, you you talked about some of the buildings, talk about the overall vision, the overall uses, how large acreage-wise and how many buildings and all that stuff. Well, it's a total of 12 buildings. It's a million two square feet of office. It's 1,200 apartments. It's over 200,000 square feet of retail. It's over seven acres of public parks. And it's really, truly, I mean, this is all on Portland. It is truly a public-private partnership with the city and with the port. Mm-hmm. And it's about creating a dynamic 24-7 live-work-play environment with having jobs, having housing, having retail, having an environment where you want to bring your kids on a Saturday to enjoy the park, to enjoy the food and beverage, to be in the community. It's it's a community with 40% affordable on the housing, which is really, quite frankly, unprecedented in San Francisco to see that level of affordability built into a project. And that comes out of the public-private partnership with the port and the the civic-mindedness that Larry talked about, about the Giants ownership group, the commitment from the Giants at the very top of making sure that this was really a great community for San Francisco. It's highly aligned with their values in the in the ownership group. So it's it's really exciting to see this come to fruition. And there's a very delicate balance of making all those pieces come together. I want to talk about the delicate balance, and I'm curious about this, and I'm curious about civic mindedship, mindedness. And we talk about it on Leading Voices all the time. And Carl, before we started today, I was talking about my podcast interview yesterday with Mark Preston from Grosvenor, the 240-year-old real estate company, and how they view this long-term. But Tishman Inspired is a long-term owner, too, but you don't have that benefit of, hey, we're going to be here for 300 years. Maybe you will. But your goals are different because you're more – you have to be more bottom-line oriented. So how do you balance – that you're the doers in the bottom line orientation Look, I, with I, what I, their I, promises are. I'm a big believer that if you create the right physical environment, the right community, 
that the economic returns will come out of that. And we are long-term holders. We and the giants want to be involved in Mission Rock through the development, and we see that as a long-term asset for us and for our investors. So yes, we're economically motivated, but the driving force is to create the right environment. Because if you create the right environment that people like and enjoy and want to be in, the economic success will come out of that. It, it's interesting. Again, it came up on the conversation yesterday with Grosvenor because they were talking about Grosvenor Square and putting investments into the square, which is seemingly a public service. But of course, that public service totally benefits the surrounding neighborhood, which is owned. Correct. So enlightened self-interest works all the time. Well, and, and, and Larry, I think, is somewhat modest about the you know, the transformation that this ballpark had on oh, SOMA shoot. and the southern part of San Francisco. I mean- as a sort of student of how urban design and land economics work, the positive impact that this ballpark has had on this, you know, south of Market and Mission Bay for San Francisco is transformational. Mission Bay wouldn't have had – this was the anchor for Mission Bay to go. Yes, and this was the anchor for really all of the development south of Market which we were benefiting on, you know, when we were building 555 Mission long before we came into partnership with Larry and the Giants. So I, I think it's their vision of the ownership group of what they were trying to accomplish has had incredible corollary payoffs for the city and the surrounding neighborhood. Hey, let me ask a quick question about that to you, Larry, and then we're going to come back to the project. But I'm curious about that. So many ballparks land in a sea of parking. And when this ballpark landed, it was controversial in town because there wasn't going to be enough parking. Now we don't care about parking anymore, it seems. So we passed that. But you didn't do the sea of parking. How much of the vision did you have that this would transform the neighborhood and it would be an urban environment? We, we tried to get smart again. You know, and this was um, and we one thing we didn't want to do was rush into a proposal um, without really doing the field trips frankly, to the right. to urban models like Baltimore, Cleveland, and and um, Denver, like we talked about. And and so on, in performing that research, what we found was, remember uh, explicitly, uh, somebody at Coors Field, when we, were, when we went there, said, there's more risk building too much parking than not enough parking, mm -hmm. right? And we felt that we have some great group that, you know, uh, Carl worked, worked closely with, uh, Jack Bear, Alfie Felder, Fran Weld led, led our development for, for a long time. Right. Uh, and uh, it was our uh, connective tissue to all parts of this development, Julian Panikos. And, and what we concluded back early on about parking, uh, the group, as we did this research, was that we have a real opportunity to get a high transit use. Mm -hmm. And we were looking for if we could get, if we could achieve a 50-50 modal split, meaning 50% of the people that are coming to a game or an event come in their own cars and 50% come some other way. Doesn't mean they're just coming public transit. They could be walking downtown from the central business district. Right. They could be on scooters. We have the ferry service. We have commuter rail. We have um, light rail. Mm -hmm. at BART. So all of those modes, we get to 50-50, uh, 
and really promote that as a, a, a way to, to go that we would that we could do you know less parking rather than more and less parking is still you know 20 started with 2300 spaces and you'll probably ask what is what are you doing with mission rock now that you're building out your parking lot we're going to do a garage of approximately give or take that size and that garage may you know get scaled up or down as the world changes and autonomous vehicles emerge right. and uh, rideshare uh, continues to grow, et cetera. But um, so that, so the parking approach, uh, you know, and it was funny because I'll never forget there was a, a headline as we were doing the development in the San Francisco Chronicle. It was a columnist just did a, did a piece saying, will this be the no park park question mark, mm-hmm. which wasn't the greatest marketing approach when we were selling season tickets a couple of years before the ballpark was completed. But we, again, went out and made the case that through lots of ways, get, lots of ways to get here and your car is an option, but there are a lot of other options and actually the fun of going to a game. And I kind of channeled a little bit of, going with my dad on the municipal railway we out to Candlestick. Yeah. Part of the fun of going to the game is when you walk out the door and you're wearing maybe, you know, a giant's jacket or something and you are taking a, uh, you know, a trip on a ferry or on a light rail or on a commuter rail up up with a bunch of fans like you uh, to the ballpark. That's That starts the experience. I want to channel that for a sec. I came to a game a couple weeks ago as your guest and I went with Julian and we just had a blast, but I had... I was early, and so I stood outside Willie Mays and just watched the crowd, and everyone was smiling, and the team wasn't. And it wasn't because we were headed to the World Series. (laughs) Exactly, but the smiles were probably no less. And I'm just curious about that. What? And it was people of all ages, all colors, all fitness levels. There were people in canes walking to the ball game, as well as young people jumping up and down. It was really moving. That's what excites me personally about baseball especially because when you think about it and I think this lends a baseball park to being part of a community and and perhaps leading to ancillary development around a baseball park because it is a you know it's a it's a multi-generational experience people go with their parents and grandparents and grandchildren and that that number one number two when you think about it I mean the more games than any sport right Mm -hmm. so if you have the traffic 80 and if you we do a lot of non-baseball events public and private events so we're lights are on here up to 180 to 200 days a year on something some of them are smaller events okay but but the other piece of it is baseball is played when you know during the summer and a lot of day games and it is a chance for people to reconnect we've seen this really in you know in bold relief coming out of the pandemic right and so I think some of the, the smiling faces that you saw, Matt, were just people enjoying the experience, um, win or lose. Right. And we totally want to win more than we lose, but but that is – and so the happy moments, I think, for those of us that work here at the Giants are um, not just home runs that go into McCovey Cove, but walking the upper deck and seeing mothers and daughters and fathers and sons right. and couples and date night and office colleagues – hanging out and having smiles on their face. It's funny. I think of my dad and I think of my daughter. So I started baseball in Philly, going to the ballpark with my dad. And then my daughter and I were here for the World Series. And so it's the same exact thing. 
Okay, let's change the subject. Carl, back to business here. <laughs> You're delivering this into COVID. And so that changes the economics, changes the design, it changes the drivers of tenants. And I know you've been through a process with Visa because they doubled down on doing a new office building, delivering into what they knew was going to be a new world. Can you talk about that? Sure. I mean, Visa has been a fantastic partner. And Al Kelly, I think, from the first meeting we had with him in this building where we showed him what Mission Rock could be, understood that for Visa, having a world-class headquarters that he could recruit to was a huge plus for him. But Mission Rock is much more than Visa, right? It is the, the residential building at the Canyon that we will welcome our first residents in next uh, the second quarter of next year. And having that be 40% affordable, those units will be really the only new market rate multifamily units started in San Francisco since the pandemic hit. And we're actually seeing now people coming back to San Francisco in significant numbers. Uh, and so we think that that will be a fantastic uh, location. Okay. I want to come back to that one, but let's yep. stick with Visa for a minute. Yep. And I'm thinking of the mindset of a world-renowned company right. that came from a suburban office campus, I think. They, or, they have a small presence in San Francisco and a large campus in Foster City. And they were looking quite broadly at where they might put their headquarters going forward. And we're looking throughout the entire Bay Area. And I think they saw that by being in this new neighborhood in San Francisco, they could have a flagship building that would be theirs, that would be branded Visa, that would be a great place for employees to work. It is a spectacular place to entertain customers because there are large outdoor terraces in the upper floors of those buildings with fire pits and outdoor barbecues where Honestly, you could almost coach the teams um, in the game. I mean, you can see the game very clearly from these terraces. It's, it's an amazing environment for Visa, for their own employees, and for them to do, you know, entertaining of their customers. Yeah. So I'm thinking the badge on the building, it's next to the ballpark, which has the badge on the building, versus driving down the highway in Foster City and seeing a badge on the building you're buying a package of amenities for your workers that you're getting 10 times your return on what you're bringing people into the office. For. Yes, and then Larry has already committed that in October next year, they will be in the playoffs <laughs> and they'll have great visibility on television um, when the, the Giants are in the playoffs. Okay. You know, what, just one example of what Carl's talking about, which was, was just kicking around ideas because one of the great you know, benefits of, of, of being associated with Visa is the collaboration ideas. Right. So as you say, there's open spaces in the balconies and the buildings, which are great. There's also a seven acre park that is adjoins their building, right? Mm -hmm. That were under construction. And one of the ideas is Visa, you know, is very involved in the sports space in that they're a, they've been a longtime Olympic sponsor. They're an NFL sponsor. They're a giant sponsor. And one of the ideas was, wouldn't it be a great launch 
say for just as an example for Olympic athletes, for them to have a salute and a send off to wherever the Olympics are, you know, Paris in 2024 or wherever from the park in the shadow of the visa building, that kind of thing. So I think to to Carl's point, Al and and his, his executive team really thinking big about how you can create a signature for the company through right. real estate and through the environment that where they, they work. And, and before the podcast, we were talking a little bit about technology and baseball. I think when I came to the ball game a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't use my American Express card or Visa was like really easy to use, but American Express was hard. Was that that must have no, been they're, they're a, they've been a longtime partner and we have to we we have protocols, but they've been and that's you know, and that the relationship with them in the building is a, you know part of a long-term relationship yep. we've had with them, and I know uh, Rob Spire and Carl have had long time, and, and their teams have had long time relationship with Visa. So, you know, I'm sure you've covered this in your podcasts. Uh, relationships and trust are important Huge. when you're putting together these kinds of deals. Yep, um, Carl, come back to forty percent affordable. How does that work? How do the numbers work? And is it forty percent all very low? Is there a, a it's range? a series of different income Talk levels from sixty to one hundred and fifty percent of AMI? It really comes out of the public private partnership with the port, uh-huh. right? By making the entire project be able to balance the economic engine of the office space with the re- with the residential space, with the retail, the giants, even before we got involved, worked with the port to make sure that the project was able to support that 40% affordable as part of you know, the project's commitment to the broader community. And so, uh, you know. Because I'm curious, you said 60 to 150%. What are the gradations in that 40? Because we're going to get a little geeky here, but it matters. The bulk of them are at 80, 100, and 120. There are some as high as 150. Cool. And, and workforce was an important component, which, you know, in San Francisco, this is not a news bulletin. It's not, it's not that easy to get 100% consensus on anything, Right. right? But um, on this, it was a, there was a I think across the board desire to, you know, address the, the the lower percentages for sure of AMI, but also to focus on workforce. Yeah. Right. So that it's so important in the city for us to be able to retain, you know, the nurses and the teachers and the police and the fire to to live in the city. So that the, those higher ends of AMI that's part of the affordable program is going to, we believe, address, you know, the uh, workforce housing as well. Thank you. It's huge because we talk all the time about this in the business. We talk about the podcast. We all, people talk about affordable housing all the time. They're now beginning in the vernacular to talk about workforce housing and how to make a shallow subsidy work for people up to 120 or even 150% of median income matters equally if that's the right word and for our industry and the health of our cities. So thank you for being there. It's incredibly important to creating the kind of community we want. Now let's broaden the lens a little bit to San Francisco. And Carl, we were talking about this before the before our taping a few minutes ago. What, what's going on in downtown San Francisco? What's going on downtown office? What's going on in the condo market? But let's stick with the office market first because that's the most in transition part of the real estate business. And you get to see it live in one of the hardest hit cities with card swipes and all that stuff. 
Sure. I mean, there's no question that COVID and the pandemic was hard on San Francisco and uh, hard on downtown. I do think it's important to see that the low point was 12 to 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. And the city has begun very significant recovery. Mm-hmm. Right? People are moving back to San Francisco. Apartment vacancies are now well below 5%. Class A apartment rents are now above pre-COVID levels. The level of vitality and energy throughout the city in the neighborhoods, the outdoor restaurants and the parklets have made Fillmore Street and Union Street and 24th Street great you know, almost celebratory environments uh-huh. uh, in the evenings. The downtown CBD has done a lot to clean up downtown. More businesses are open in downtown. You know, as an office building owner as and building affordable housing, I personally have been back in the office really since June of 2020. And it's great to see the restaurants open again, to see the sandwich shops open again, to see the gyms open again. You now stand in line to get something at lunchtime. So we're seeing a level of energy in downtown that is so much better than it was 18, 24 months ago. Clearly, the whole world of how people use commercial office space is changing. And I think the pandemic in many ways accelerated some of those changes, but people are rethinking how they use space. It's very clear that the very best buildings are doing very well, right? If you have a great environment, great commitment to sustainability, great indoor air quality, great floor-to-ceiling heights, private outdoor space, great amenities, and great transit, those buildings will do extraordinarily well, which is part of why Visa is committed to Mission Rock, part of why the activity in our life science design building B on 3rd Street is quite robust. It is why buildings like One Bush Street in downtown San Francisco is doing very well. But there is a rethinking of how people collaborate. And that does mean that some firms will shrink their office footprint. At Tishman Spire, we're trying really hard to work with our clients where they want to be. And that's a series of different endeavors. One is our commitment to Zoe, which is our brand for tenant amenities. And that's everything from ice cream socials to chair massages to dog walking services to help arranging transit to even help finding short-term temporary staff. We want you as a tenant in our buildings to feel like you're in a hospitality environment and when we're there to help you with whatever requests you need. Mm-hmm. The other is our studio, which is our brand of co-working. And what we've done is really it's our answer to WeWork, but we're doing that as the owner of the building. And so when somebody comes and leases space from us, they have the ability to flex up or flex down because we have studio in the building. And that is a huge benefit 
to our customers, when they think about signing a long-term lease, they don't have to commit to as much space because they have the ability to flex up and flex down through our studio environment. And that's been huge with our larger customers around the globe. And, and let's talk about that kind of across the country. I'm curious in the Bay Area what that means and what it means elsewhere. And you and I talked about this earlier because my company was in co-working, which we loved. Right. And the ability to have optionality, the ability to take a 100,000 square foot lease, not 150 for 10 years, and then have the rest be optionality space that's good and clean and right there. What a blessing that right. is. Right. I mean, changes I, the I world. Mean, Co-working fundamentally, I mean, we are providing for you all of the build-out, all of the amenities, all of the food, all of the Wi-Fi, all of the connections, all of the things that as a small office tenant were just a pain to get done. We are bundling those and providing those to you, and you can take them at any scale that you want, over any duration that you want, and we're providing pricing that matches that in a way that, quite frankly, our customers are thrilled to right. have that flexibility. And so we're doing it in Mission Rock. We're doing it at uh, 333 Bush was the first building we did in San Francisco. We've done it at 595 Market. We're looking at rolling it out at 520 Pike. It is an incredible benefit to the other tenants in the building. <laughs> it's interesting, when you and I talked about this years ago, when we my company moved into co-working, right. I was scared about my $100,000 worth of furniture mm -hmm. that I had to throw out. And my furniture was a ball and chain on my personal being as a small business. Right. <laughs> Getting rid of it was the most freeing thing I ever did and gave me the optionality to do other things. It was right. fascinating. Right. And we're gonna change the subject, but talk about this across the country and how it, it, how it does feel in San Francisco, because from a key swipe standpoint, we're still the most challenged CBD in the country, I believe. But well, you see well, it. One of the more challenged. I mean, clearly in New York, where the large financial institutions, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan are, thou shalt come back to work. We are seeing higher badge swipes, but they're improving every week in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And they're in line in San Francisco, quite frankly, with Boston and Los Angeles. And, you know, we continue to believe that by providing this, the combination of Zoe and Studio, that we provide an environment where people will want to come back to work. And then it's up to the employers to help build on that. And I really fundamentally believe that the innovation industries, which drive the Bay Area, yep. those companies are incredibly healthy, mm -hmm. right? Even with the market repricing of the last several months, Google, Apple are worth so much more than they were in February of 2020. Right. They employ so many more people than they did in 2020. And those innovation industries rely, quite frankly, more so than the banks on people collaborating and thinking together. So yes, it's a, it's a tough moment right now, but if you look out 10 years in San Francisco, I feel quite bullish about the industries that are driving San Francisco, the resilience of the city, and the fact that people are moving back and that this remains fundamentally a fantastic place to live. One of the best cities. And I, I couldn't agree with more with what Carl said. And I, and I think just as a, just to give you maybe um, there's some sort of exhibit A to what he's saying. Yeah. You know, and, and it's really true. The 
what we used to call the fang companies, I guess with Facebook's now meta, the mang companies maybe, but, <laughs> but, um, but those companies have, have made pronouncements, right? Like Apple is, you know, it's three days a week and coming to the spaceship, et cetera. But just giving you an exhibit A, the giants. Okay. So we are not a big technology company and we're not a, you know, fortune 100 company, fortune 500 company, but we do depend on sort of entrepreneurial work mm-hmm. that, you know, and so what was great is just uh, we have a, our Wednesday executive committee meetings and they've been um, hybrid for a while. We had last week 100 percent in mm-hmm. and nobody really chose to do it hybrid because we're bouncing off ideas about 2023 planning. We're bouncing off, you know, mission rock updates. We're bouncing off the what's the team going to look like, what, what we're doing in it's just people want to be together to do that. They want the body language. They want the eye contact. They want the, and I think that that is in this innovation economy and so much of it here in our world in Northern California, that's, I just think it's going to continue to accelerate. Yes, it will. And people will still have the optionality Mondays or Fridays to be zooming in if they want to do it. So let's come back to the words that you said a while ago, Larry, which is about civic-mindedness. And I want to think about San Francisco with civic-mindedness and how the city is evolving towards maybe being more business-friendly, more being downtown-friendly, and putting the infrastructure in for the basic services that may have been missing in our civic discussion over the past five years as the world looks at us. I'll let either of you take the subject. Well, I, I think a couple of things. One is... And I'm proud of this. You know, San Francisco has always been viewed as a very progressive city, yes. a very tolerant city, a very welcoming city. And I, as, as a native, and actually, though I lived in the East um, for uh, parts of my career and, 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 and graduate school, I very much, in fourth generation, I very much embraced those, yep. those values. But I think that there also was a period here where maybe every, everything got a little bit out of, out of kilter, right? And there were some fundamental questions about safety and some fundamental questions about education. And I think, you know, and, and the importance of, and the, and the two are not mutually exclusive. You right. can be a really progressive, welcoming, wonderful, tolerant city, but also the streets can be safe. And the education can be of high quality in the public Gotta schools. Got to have both. Got to have both. And I think that there's, so I think that it's all moving in the right direction. The business community, one of the things we're working on, there's a a group called Advance SF, which is an outgrowth of Committee on Jobs, uh, which was was, uh, born back over 30 years ago, actually by some of the initial charter investors in the Giants. But the advanced SF is is focused on those quality of life issues and engaging businesses to not necessarily focus on tax treatment and all that. Those are obviously material issues to business. But if you don't have the sort of quality of life working, right. the transportation networks and the, the safety on the streets and everything, the other parts don't the other pieces don't really come into play. So so this is businesses rallying to, you know, work with the civic leadership, work with the mayor's office, work with the supervisors. And and I and it's it's going extremely well. And I think back to the project that Carl and I are working on, 
Mission Rock. We had a vote on Mission Rock in 2015 because there were height limits and, and various things. And we got 73% of the vote and no elected members of the, of the no, no electeds opposed it, right? Everybody, including yeah. 11 out of 11 supervisors. So I, I think that kind of what we were talking about earlier, when you come from a good place, good things can happen. And I think that businesses now are rallying. Yes, some businesses have moved out, but some have moved in. Too. Right. So the companies that are here really want to be want to be part of the civic discussion. I want to pull in a couple of threads on this, and we're going to be wrapping up in a few minutes. So I want to get to the last subjects here. But one thing is, it feels like over the last ten years before COVID, we had party time, and during party time, San Francisco was flying high, and it felt so good while the civic problems were there, and we were just like ignoring them. And then you come into a COVID, then the civic-minded folks and the businesses that will be here on a long-term basis then say, hey, wait a minute, we got to think about the basic infrastructure and let's take it seriously. Let's hold off on some of the party stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that City Hall, certainly the mayor's office, and even I think the majority of the Board of Supervisors now gets that we have turned a corner and we need the city to help bring San Francisco back. But again, the fundamentals here are strong. They're amazing. The economy is strong. This is an incredibly appealing place to live. And so I have every faith that the pieces will come into place. And I do think, I mean, we have a new district attorney. We have a new uh, majority on the school board. Uh, we have several important uh, supervisor elections in November. There is a a increasing understanding that the progressive social goals of San Francisco have to come in concert with an, a you know strong economy. And bringing those together, I think, will happen and is beginning to happen you know, on transit. We want transit to work. I've been working hard now with city leaders to try and bring express buses back to San Francisco. And the head of the SFMTA and the mayor's office is engaged with us proactively on trying to make that happen. Cool. And so a couple other subjects. You just said, and I'm pulling the thread of the vote that you got in a referendum, because what we always talk about in real estate is nimbyism, which you can't get stuff done. And so coming from the right place sounds good, feels good. And I guess that's the whole answer. But how the heck did you do that? Because everything gets opposed. So is it that it's the giants? Is it there's a magic behind it? Is that the promises you made? I think you have to consider that. I think there was a overall recognition that when, say, take the Mission Rock project or, or the Ballpark project, that... There was consideration for the greater good, meaning affordable housing was folded in and very clearly, not right. an evasive thing that we'll do best efforts or whatever. It was you compensated going in. You went in with the right we, foot. We did. And we had a, a real civic discussion here where we had the labor unions at the table. We had members of the board of supervisors at the table. We had political leadership on all sides and came forward. I mean, I think, you know, there was a lot of research done so that when we came forward with a program, they weren't really built in opposition because there was, it's kind of the art of, of compromise, right? So with the, the open space, we had to have open space. We had to create a, you know, a, a park. There were, right. I mean, got 73% of the vote, 27% voted no. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the, but the leadership was there because we had, we, we, we kind of, did a lot of homework early on. And when I say we, it was the collective we. 
you know, from all parts of the community and not baseball fans necessarily. I mean, as right. much as I think everybody walking down the streets memorizing batting averages, that's not the case. So uh, the, the people that may not benefit by the Giants, but can benefit by having a, a park in their neighborhood or having a, an affordable housing option that might not be available otherwise. People so often go in asking for the sky and the moon, yeah. knowing they're going to get this, the moon alone. But you went in for the moon. So you went in for what you knew was a defensible position. We, we, we tried to do that. I mean, I think we learned, you know, that the sponsor was very clear. The sponsor of this project in, in those days was, was the Giants. And we are not a, even though some people think we're a, you know, a public utility or whatever, we, not we are not. We're <laughs> privately held. And we were really clear about that, that this is coming forward from the owners of the Giants. But we're also... You know, we're clear about who we are, and it's the group that came together to keep the Giants here. And so I think it was, uh, there was, you know, to use a word that's probably overused, and it's not my favorite word, but uh, transparency. It was pretty transparent. Yeah. So last question for you, Larry, and then a wrap-up question. But talk about, we've talked about the business of baseball through this conversation. We've kind of touched on it, and we've touched on it in winning and losing seasons so just any perspective on running a business enterprise like this that does have that competitive element that cycles through. And by the way, you've had enormous success because during your leadership, you've won the World Series three times, I think. So like mazel tov, but keep <laughs> Thank going. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what we we have to do here, and I try to you know work with all parts of the, of the Giants, is we have to have a growth mindset. Because um, sports, and this is a good thing, but sports is becoming a much bigger business, right? Yeah. So there was a day several decades ago, maybe, where you put the team on the field and you try to win and the crowds come or they don't. But, you know, that, there's sort of a narrow band between how much money, you know, whether it could be sustainable, break even, profitable, not profitable. Now it's totally changed. If you don't have a growth mindset, you've got to, you're competing with teams that are owned by very large interests and you're in a competitive landscape in, in our sport. So we're trying to grow the company and do some diversification. That wasn't really the motivation for Mission Rock, but Mission Rock will help some. We're, you know, we're in the TV content business. You've got teams that it's well known, you know, the Boston Red Sox own a soccer team in Europe. Uh, they, one of the owners of the Dodgers just bought the Chelsea soccer team. So there, so there's lots of different ways to do it. We feel like our quote unquote diversification, if you will, is just kind of doubling down on our neighborhood. And um, so that's so, 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 but, but we very much have a challenge everybody here to uh, operate in a growth mindset and look at new ways to, to do business in, in our ballpark. Don't go too far. When I was at the game a couple of weeks ago, the uniforms looked like cartoon <laughs> uniforms instead of orange and black, and it Matt, didn't resonate with that. We had a game last night, and those are, <laughs> and we do every Tuesday night. These are alternative uniforms. We do them just at home Tuesday nights. So there's about, let's see, there's about, I don't know, uh, what, 11 or 12 of them. Uh -huh. And um, they're called our City Connect uniforms. They're designed for somebody your age, my age, Carl's age. Not to particularly like, uh -huh. but for but for the under thirty crowd to like them, and just a little quick fun fact: the Giants' record in the City Connect, I think, because we've done now two years, something like fourteen wins and four losses. I was going to ask that question: like, do people win better when they look a certain way? 
Just saying. Okay, I'll Just accept saying. it. Okay, last question on leading voices is always uh, advice for a young person entering the real estate business. Carl, let's start with you. Look, I think it's a fantastic business. And I think that if you care about the world in front of you and how that world is going to be and how it's going to interface with the climate, that being in the real estate business and help shaping great communities and great sustainable environments is a fantastic challenge for a young person. And so I think it's an incredibly energetic and important time to come into the real estate business. It's interesting. We talk about this on Leading Voices all the time of the impact in real estate. And if you're doing it the right way, it really matters. And these people want to come into climate change in particular, come into our business because you're going to have a really big impact. That's why I spend every Thursday night at, at Berkeley lecturing uh, in the MRAT program. Wonderful. Larry. Yeah, I, and I, I think that one of the things I've learned, because this is the way we got into real estate, is is taking urban spaces. And I'm a I'm a you know a urban gorilla, if you will. I, I grew up in a city, love cities. I've really just lived in large cities, and that came at real estate from a little different perspective, right? From a yeah. from the business that we were running, which was media and entertainment, and have learned that being in the real estate world, you can create magic. Mm-hmm. really can create magic and dream big. And in our case, you know, we're, we're, we're paired up with a developer who, you know, d- knows exactly what they're doing and we have ideas. And um, I think those that, you know, are in businesses that may be connected to real estate can dream big, affiliate with somebody that does this for a living and, um, and create magic. So I, I'm, I, for somebody that's thinking about doing it, doing real estate or real estate related or businesses that have a real estate component, I think, you know, dreaming big is, is such a, such a wonderful thing for a young person to, uh, you know, to, it's an inspiring way to live your life. It's really interesting hearing that from the CEO of the Giants, a sports team, and to see magic in real estate and dreaming big in real estate because people are dreaming big sports. I got to do this. I got to do this. But it's in both spaces. Well, and I think that now what we're finding coming out of the pandemic with all the challenges is that we're finding that people in our world want to come. There's so much, you know, indoor entertainment and and home entertainment, but- we're finding like a bit of a reverse effect, you yeah. know, that people want to get out and you have to have the spaces for them to do it. And that's why people in our business, I think naturally are going to be in, in the sports business, media business, are also going to be in the real estate business. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey guys, this was wonderful. Thank you Great. both Thank very you. much. Thanks so much, Matt. Thank you for listening into Leading Voices. And I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have a request. If you enjoyed the episode and found it to be valuable, please share it with a friend or two. If they're podcast wary, take their smartphone in your hand and subscribe for them and teach them to listen. You'll change their life. Seriously, thanks for listening and keep in touch. You know you can reach me at matt at terrasearchpartners.com. See you next time.